0: Welcome to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. I'm Yusip And I'm Tobias. Join us
1: for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Azure. My name is Tobias Zimmergren, and I'm here again with Yusip Roine. What's up?
0: Hey, Tobias. Uh, a quick update. I am still building the house. I think I've mentioned that perhaps a few times um, that we got, we got the bright idea that let's build a house. And, and when I say let's build a house, in essence, I mean, let's design a house with the help of an architect. And then let's find a contractor who actually builds the house and we, we pay the bills. So groundwork and the foundation, the base foundation is now done. That took about a month. But we, before that, we spent six months on paperwork. And we are now laying the actual bricks. And again, when I say we, I mean somebody is on my plot of land. And I'm sitting at home in my home office watching with my remote camera setup. Whenever somebody comes to their plot of land in the morning, normally at 7.30, I get a notification on my phone that that movement has been detected on the construction side. So I, I open my phone while having coffee in the morning. Oh yeah, somebody's working. Then I close my phone. So, so far, so good. And we are still about six, seven months away from actually moving in. But that's that's probably the thing where I I, I feel I spend about an hour each day, sorting through the invoices, answering the emails and the questions and getting random phone calls about random stuff about the building process. But beyond that, it's progressing. And perhaps 52 episodes from now, I I can happily announce it's done.
1: So I understand that it does take some time. So on on my end, so first of all, good luck with that. I hope it doesn't take that many episodes to get that done. So on on my side, we moved into the house. And I think last time I I mentioned a bit about the house and the construction building, the new home office. That looks like it's actually going to be done this week tomorrow. So by the next time we record an episode, I will, I think, be in the new home office finally. So, because right now the entire family needs to go into one of the bedrooms or into uh, you know the bathroom or, or go out in the garden or something when I'm recording, which of course is not optimal and, and really not fair to anyone. So with the new home office, I can really go in and, and close the door. But for me this week, I got a robotic lawnmower. So one of those kind of smart mowers that goes by itself, you know, out in the morning or evening or whenever you, you schedule it. So the family, they asked for a dog, but I got a mower and I named it Clippy. And that was a great decision. You know, not only because the the lawn is shaping up nicely, but also the three-year-old loves to analyze how that works. Where is it going? Where did it come from? Why is it leaving trials of grass? Is it not picking up the grass and why not? Why is the grass laying in straight lines? Why is it not in curved lines? And what about this? You know, a million questions. So we're discussing that. And, and, you know, where will it take off next? Will it go on a different adventure? Will it go into the, you know, into the pond and fall down? And what happens if it does? Can it swim? So I'm having very interesting dialogues with my three-year-olds. But all the questions about the grass... Also, got me thinking, you know, there's she has so many valid questions about grass, and I cannot answer every single one of them. So now I need to do some research. And I found someone who did a research paper, which is factual research on how grass grows organic grass on an, on a lawn, no fertilizers, no nothing special, just water, sun, and how to cut it. You know, you, you cut one third, it's supposed to be exactly this many centimeters or inches. If you want this type of lawn, this is exactly how you do it. And I just, I don't know, spent two hours reading about how to get the perfect lawn. So I guess this is going to be my, you know, evening adventure in the coming days, figuring out how I can get the, the current lawn, which is perhaps not in a great shape because when we got the house, it was, you know, in a really poor shape and how we can transition that now into a, a super cool, nice green lawn. So that's my, that's what I've been up to lawn studies
0: so two things here uh we need a link to this paper because i need to have a look at that as well for next year and the the next next thing here is that my kids have been sort of semi-actively asking for a dog and and while i i probably i'm not able to get a dog right now and instead of getting this fancy robotic lawnmower uh, when I was a kid, you probably had one too as well. When I was a kid uh, in the uh, 80s, we had this mechanical uh, push model of a lawnmower that you would push, and it would have the blades that 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 go in circular motion. Yeah,
1: the, the cylinder mower.
0: Yes, exactly. So I will get one of those. And hope it will be an educational adventure for the kids to actually learn what what hard labor is all about.
1: This is how I did it in my day. So Now you're (laughs) going to have to suffer the same.
0: (laughs) All right. I
1: I used that as well.
0: So today, this is episode 93. And it's about forgetting your passwords with passwordless. And I I, I think we've sort of uh, thought about talking about passwordless. For quite some time and, and today probably the stars aligned quite nicely. So passwords, I think we all love them and we have a lot of them. Toby, how many passwords do you have?
1: I'm glad you asked because I just looked it up. I know we we're going to touch on this topic today, so I did take a peek into my password manager. I have 711 unique passwords. So each and every one of them is a strong password and they are unique. So I'm using a password manager, which is, they got this built-in function saying, oh, you have 35 passwords that are not strong enough, you know, according to industry standards or recommendations. And then I just went through all the sites and I replaced all the passwords. Now, every single password is super long, usually between 64 and 200 characters, just randomly generated. So more than 700 unique passwords, which is, quite a lot. What about you?
0: I did check before we got started with the recording. I have about 600 and I think about a year ago I went through all of them and I deleted my accounts from dozens of services I'm I'm not using anymore. You often sort of sign up for something to check or test something, then you forget about the service, then 6 months later you need to sign up for something else and suddenly you have 25 passwords or accounts that you don't really use anymore. So I did clean them up quite a bit, but I think I could still easily clean 200 from those. But I don't I don't really mind. So I'm I'm used to looking up those passwords from my password manager that I'm self-hosting and 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 copy-pasting them to different services when I need to access something. But but still this this is sort of I would, I would say it's something I think you and I, we've both been doing for, for decades already now. We have passwords, we copy those, we use them, and, and, and we sort of live with the fact that you get prompts asking for your password. And then you make this split-second decision. Is this a trustworthy prompt? Can I copy it in here? So sort of moving forward from here, the, the obvious first step for the longest of times, which for me means about 10 years, has been in the Microsoft universe multi-factor authentication or MFA. So I know without asking that you're utilizing MFA as, as much as possible, or that's at least my hope, right?
1: Yeah. So multi-factor or 2 factors. What what a lot of people outside of the Microsoft space also mentioned two-factor. I did hear someone recently say three-factor because they had another <laughs> layer on top. But yes, I definitely use that for Every single service that offers it, and I actually, for some services I used that did not offer it, I requested that as a feature. Otherwise, we would not actually start using their service. And then a couple of months later, they implemented that. Um, so it's clear that organizations and service providers, SaaS companies alike, everyone is starting to to get on the train and understand how important this is, because you know when. When a password goes wild in a password dump list or whatever, a single website gets hacked and your password flies with the wind, if you have multi-factor, they still cannot sign into your account. If you don't have that, they can sign into your account. Simple as that. So yes, I do use that everywhere. And, and usually, uh, most of the modern services that that I utilize, especially for anything work-related, they they have MFA
0: and usually the the second factor the multi in the factor authentication that's true a mobile app a text message perhaps an automated call to your phone a pin number or some sort of a combination of these perhaps a text message where you get a pin and then you type that pin in to an authentication prompt so usually you still need to type in your password then you get prompted for this second factor of authentication so i saw statistics from twitter on this i think about a week ago that just 2.3 percent of all twitter users have two-factor authentication enabled i can't recall how many users twitter has but it's it's in the hundreds of millions and just 2.3 percent of users have enabled two-factor and all the rest 97.7% 97.7% of all Twitter users are are simply using a password.
1: You know, I'm not surprised because like if if you look at the sphere that you and I hang in on Twitter, it's very tech oriented. It's a lot of IT devs, you know, business people who may understand the importance of MFA or multi-factor authentication at least you would hope. Uh, so if you're tuning into this and you don't have it, please enable it. Uh, it's the only recommendation that I can, can live uh, give. And there's really no reason why you shouldn't. But I also kind of understand that like Twitter is a social media platform. There's a lot of users on there who are not technically savvy. They don't think about it. They don't care about it. It's not convenient to sign in with a password and then also have a multifactor or a second step to just sign in a lot of people also people that i speak with in you know in my circles my my friends who are not so tech savvy they want the convenience they have passwords that are eight characters no special characters no multi factor nothing they just want to remember it and you know it's usually the name of their dog or you know the city they live in or something like this summer 2021 you know it was a good year so that's my password and i i understand why this number could be so low, because a lot of people are it's too inconvenient for a lot of people to use multi-factor. So I think the the step from using a password plus MFA is pretty big for you know the general consumer. For us working in IT, it's a clarity you need to have this. There is no exception to that rule. You know, that rule exists for for many reasons. And I, I recently saw a study from Microsoft where they said that they mitigate 99.9% of all threats when you enable MFA. Because 99.9% of all the attack that happens on your Microsoft accounts, they happen because you don't have MFA. So if that is not recent enough, nothing will be. So definitely do enable it. Whatever service you use, enable it. The statistics will tell you 100% you need to have it. That's it.
0: That's super solid advice. Uh, We had in the news, this was perhaps a month ago, uh, a local social media influencer uh, was was spending a nice summer day uh, on the beach. And I think he was hopping on a boat and he dropped his iPhone and it went to the bottom of the sea. And he panicked because he had 37,000 images on the phone with no backup no synchronization or nothing. And I think that's the same for a lot of IT pros and techies. If you lose your phone, that's also the device that you use Mm -hmm. for to to confirm these two-factor authentication prompts. But it's relatively easy to source a new phone and reconfigure that, but it's a hassle. Mm -hmm. So on the Twitter statistics, 2.3% of the Mm -hmm. Twitter users have two-factor enabled. And from those users... 80% 80% use SMS, a text message, for the two-factor. About 31% of those enabled users use an app. And just 0.5% of the users use a physical security key, some sort of hardware token. So somebody listening on this goes, hold on, 80% use SMS, 31 use an app, 0.5% use security key. That's more than 100%. Yes, because you can have multiple accounts.
1: And you can also have multiple uh, ways to do MFA. Sometimes you can have an SMS and an authenticator app, although the recommendation is never to use SMS because an SMS, a phone number can also be compromised. So it's always recommended to use um, an MFA app or a security key. So I I use different authenticator apps depending on what type of MFA system I'm using. But back to the, the thing you mentioned that if you lose your phone... Uh, All the Authenticator apps that I use today, they have a backup and restore option. So I can encrypt the entire catalog of MFA configurations and save that as a backup. And then if I lose my phone, what I need is my backup or recovery phrase so I can decrypt the backup. So if I then have my password, I can sign in and my recovery, then I can get all the MFA configurations just right back there. And I recently did that. It took me about five minutes as opposed to in the past where I had to go to service one, reconfigure, request password reset, request reset MFA, configure, here's my new, sign up with the authenticator app, validate, next service. And then I had 25 services to do that. Now I don't need to do that. So look also for authenticator apps that have the capability to do a backup so you can restore it and make sure that you actually know how that works. So you do make the backups. That is essential for for that entire scenario. So you, you should never be afraid of losing your phone or like this dropping it in the seat because you you were having fun or whatever protect your data protect your phones protect your backups never be afraid of losing that if it's encrypted and your phone is you know properly properly secured you can throw it under a bus doesn't matter you should be still okay
0: we need to do an episode sometime in the future how do you manage and and treat your phone Because I think there's so many useful things here that we could touch upon. But moving beyond MFA, we get to passwordless. And uh, Microsoft's Mark Rusinovich, he tweeted in June in 2021 that he only uses Windows Hello, the physical hardware keys, and the Microsoft Authenticator app for everything. He isn't typing any passwords anywhere and i think he mentioned in the tweets that he doesn't even know the password so i would imagine he probably has that stored somewhere somewhere but he doesn't need to go look it up and that's mm-hmm. perhaps key for passwordless that it's not about typing in your password and then doing something on top of that it's typing in your email address and then doing a passwordless authentication sort of skipping the password prompt in between so um, you can determine your readiness um, and there's a password wizard I, I think you toby you've used this i've seen it someplace but i never had a chance to actually use it
1: i took a look at that so i have not used this in production yet because we we have not rolled out entire passwordless for our azure tenant so i i'm using passwordless for a lot of different services but they are non-work-related at the moment. So we're we're still determining, you know, what is the use case for this? Can we roll it out? How do we roll it out? So I found this readiness, like there's a passwordless wizard from Microsoft to determine your readiness, or that's something I coined, just determine your readiness using the wizard. So I, I don't know if you Google for it. I think you can Google for password, Microsoft passwordless wizard, and then you will get it. And essentially you get a couple of questions. So... First, you select the type of passwordless you want for your organization, if you know that. So Windows Hello for business, security keys, or Microsoft Authenticator app, or all of them, right? You don't have to choose one or the other. You can have all three of those. Then you select your deployment scenarios. Are you going for cloud only, cloud and on-prem, which is hybrid, or on-prem only? Then you start enabling and configure, for example, Windows Hello for business, according to the recommendations, if you select that. If you selected the Microsoft Authenticator app, then you enable passwordless sign-in with the Microsoft Authenticator app. And then conversely for the for the last one, if you select security keys, you will enable passwordless security key sign-in. So it's essentially a wizard that will walk you through the things you need, uh, depending on the choices you make. And, and that's pretty much it. It's not super complex, it is not, like the wizard, if if you're tuning in, like both me and you see we have uh, good and bad memories, I suppose, from uh, the farm wizard in SharePoint where you <laughs> could set up an entire farm well, you could uh, with quotation marks which you're not seeing, but you can you can almost feel them um, using that wizard. and that was a more tangible type of wizard where you actually make a couple of choices and that implements those choices for you, whereas this, is perhaps more a a step-by-step you walk through and then you understand what the next step is. So you can take that step. So after doing that, you should know what you need to know to plan for your project. And the only thing I can recommend here is after talking to people who rolled out passwordless, do a pilot project or proof of concept. You can call it whatever you want, but enable one or more pilot groups and create these groups for that one purpose only. And you want to roll this out to a few users as part of this pilot, to verify, verify how that is received by the users, how it works for your organization, and whether or not the communication that you sent to these pilot users works. Because if you just say, hey, everyone, now we're gonna start using passwordless and you just send a random email, nobody's gonna read it, or maybe they will read it and don't understand it. So you need to plan for a pilot group so you can kind of test it out in, in real waters. And then you should plan how to communicate this to the rest of the users when the time comes. And then the final step would be then planning the user registration. Uh, you know, the users can register their passwordless methods as part of the uh, uh, what you call the combined security information workflow. So Azure AD logs registrations of security key and authenticator apps and any other changes to the auth methods. So if you're an admin, you can see when a user configured his passwordless. So, you know, this user configured password list, that user started using a security key. This one started using a, an authenticator apps. You can get that in the in the audit logs, which is really good. Uh, but you should plan how you do this user registrations. So you can stay on top of that, not just from the technical perspective and the user adoption perspective, but also from the return of investment. If this now is a huge project for you, you're rolling this out, you know, how do you know that people are actually using it? Well, if you use the audit logs and stay up to date and you see that, well, 1st of August, we're rolling this out to every single user. Then we want user adoption to be at least 20% by the end of whatever month. And then you can kind of measure and follow up in different ways, depending on what kind of data you want to see. But I guess those those sort of things from the top of my mind that, that I would recommend after talking to people who rolled it out, uh, you know, lessons learned from the field from them is plan for the project, do the wizard just to get an understanding and the bearings, like where am I? Am I ready even for this? Do I understand what it is? And then the plans, do the pilot project, plan how to communicate this to the users, and then plan the user registration, You know how the user will register their password list, ensuring they have everything they need to do that, and then that you can actually follow the audit logs to ensure that this is, is going according to plan.
0: So there's a lot of moving parts here, and, and you mentioned some interesting technologies here. So, so perhaps let's dissect this a bit. So let's focus on, on Azure AD. And in Azure AD, you essentially have the following options. You can have users with just passwords. And obviously, you can configure those passwords to be complex. The minimum length has to be something, and there has to be special characters in the passwords and whatnot. But the challenge, obviously, is then that users will just type those down in a Post-it note next to the keyboard. And that that sort of doesn't make it any stronger anymore. So that's the first option, that's the default. The next one is what we already discussed, passwords and a two-factor authentication. And the MFA instance can then require the text message, the phone call, the PIN number, the mobile app, and so on. And the last option is passwordless authentication. So the user will still have a password they just do not need to type that in anymore. In, in in terms of security and convenience, the top or the highest one from this is passwordless. The next one is passwords and two-factor authentication. And the last one is just passwords. And I would perhaps argue that for convenience, passwords is the most convenient for users because many users have been doing that for 20 years. So the, it, it, it's a convenient and familiar approach. But when we go to passwordless, the first option is Windows Hello for Business that you already mentioned. So there's biometric and PIN credentials. So yep. what biometrics can I use then?
1: So I'm, I'm using the uh, biometric scanner on my laptop at the moment. So I'm using a Dell XPS 13-inch. And the power on button has a built-in uh, fingerprint sensor as well. So... When it's locked, which it is at all times when I'm not using it, when I come back, I just touch my finger on the power button. And it's, you know, before I actually understood how that works, um, it's slightly inconvenient to have the fingerprint reader to unlock your laptop on the power button because I pressed too hard the first couple of times. I'm like, why is it not working? I, I was doing it too quickly. So I pressed the button and obviously then it went into sleep mode or hibernation mode. But I'm using the biometric built into my laptop, and I use that for signing in uh, to a bunch of things. And, and that works really well because, I, like you mentioned, with passwordless, you don't have to know your password. It's a really complex password, but you use passwordless authentication. There's nobody else other than me who can actually do that, in theory. So I, I use that. My password is there. It's a password-protected account. So passwordless is not about having an account that is not using a password. It's about having a complex password and an account that you never need to actually remember the password. You can then authenticate using, like in this case, my biometric scanner, which knows, well, 100% this is Tobias, unlocking his machine, that's okay. Then, you know, under the hoods, the account still has that password. And that's pretty convenient. Just like you mentioned, and what we briefed on before with the Twitter users, now imagine if password list would be a thing rolled out for Twitter if you use biometric scanners on your phone instead of a password. I think those 2.3% would be in the 50, 60, 70, 80% overnight because everyone is using or a lot of people is using Twitter on the phone and all modern phones has a fingerprint sensor and there is nothing more convenient than just putting your thumb on the screen and be signed in. So if you can do that with Twitter, super cool. So I think if they would do that in a nice way, yeah, they would win a lot in in the security battle.
0: Indeed, indeed. On Windows Hello for Business, so I just replaced my laptop. I moved from a Lenovo ThinkPad to a Lenovo ThinkPad, but it's a newer model. So I have, uh, for biometrics, I can use the webcam. It has the infrared camera. So that's essentially using your face to authenticate. I also have the fingerprint reader. It's also on the power button. I've configured that, but I've never used it yet. And then I, uh, as a backup, I have a PIN number. So you can, you can use Azure AD to configure what's the minimum length required for the PIN number and do you require anything else than just numbers. And and when you sign into Windows 10 with Windows Hello, it unlocks a private key, and this can be used against Azure AD. And it's a fairly complex process, but in essence, by using the private key, you open up access to whatever services that support that. So moving from Windows Hello for Business in passwordless to Microsoft Authenticator app on the phone. So have you... No, I think you mentioned that that you're investigating the the option now for enabling passwordless using the Microsoft Authenticator app in in your company now, but you haven't for, enabled it that fully. Yeah,
1: yeah. So for we're what we're investigating is rolling this out to all the users. So for some services and for some things in the Authenticator apps, I am using a fingerprint. Uh, so I already have this in multiple of my other work accounts, which is you know non-corporate work accounts, if you will, it's my personal work accounts and my, my other Microsoft accounts. I'm already using this. And I the only thing I get on my phone is a notification saying, you're trying to sign into this service from here. Do you want to do that? Put your finger here. And I just put my finger in the app. I say, yes, approve. And then put my finger on the sensor on the phone. And my biometrics has then approved the multi-factor sign-in. Uh, so that's pretty convenient, but most of the time when I do this, I I'm doing this as part of part of MFA and passwords rather than passwordless. So we we're, we're still not there in the organization where we have passwordless for everyone. So we we want to go there, but I, I think the the way you use the phone would be the same if you put your finger there or like you like you say there's a number that shows up on the screen. You need to select the same number and then authenticate with your fingerprint or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's exactly like that. And I've enabled passwordless using the Authenticator app for everybody at my company. I didn't really ask anybody. So we had MFA by default, because when you spin up a new Azure AD tenant, MFA is enabled by default nowadays. So I configured passwordless so that it supports the Authenticator app. And that takes two minutes in, in Azure AD. And everybody can then start using that, but they have to do a slight configuration on the application on the mobile phone to enable passwordless. Otherwise, they will continue using the regular MFA, which is still good. And to my dislike or perhaps disappointment is that I enabled passwordless for my primary corporate account, but I still have my primary private account, which is also behind Azure AD. And I wanted to have passwordless for that one as well. So now I enable that on Azure AD on that tenant, it's a different tenant from my corporate account. And I go back to my phone on the Authenticator app, I click my private account, and, and there's an option for enabling passwordless. You click on that, you do the regular authentication on the phone, it spins for a little bit and fails. And when I dig a little bit deeper, I, I found out that currently there's limitation that you can only enable a single account on a given phone for passwordless authentication using the Authenticator app. And this can be an MSA or an Azure AD account. Once you do it for one account, none of the other accounts you're using can use that sort of a passwordless approach anymore. It's a limitation for now, And I hope at some point that limitation will be taken away so that you could simply enable passwordless using the Authenticator app for all of your accounts that you secure by using your phone. So now the last option then. So Windows Hello for Business was the first one. The Authenticator app with passwordless is the second one. But the third option is the security keys. And often you can see them called Fido2 security keys. I had to look this up because I couldn't recall what FIDO stands for. And it stands for Fast Identity Online Alliance. And it's an alliance that uses the web authentication standard. So it's a a physical key. And I've got a couple on my desk. I'm showing this through the webcam to Toby, but nobody else can see this, of course. So I've got one with USB-C, so that fits on my tablet and phone. And another one, this is the old school one. It's a regular USB-A, and it's got this um, touch. It's not really a button, but touch um, surface that you can swipe to to tell that you're ready to authenticate now. So it's a physical key. Some of these have NFC or Bluetooth support as well. And the idea is that in order to authenticate, you plug in the USB key, you swipe on the key to let the authentication prompt know that I am here and I possess the physical device. So you type in your email address, you plug in the key, you swipe, you're done. Are you using any of these or something similar?
1: I have the the YubiKeys, uh, the USB C options that fit into my laptop. Uh, so I, I have tried them. Um, I am, I mean, there's because I have the built in biometric scanner into my laptop. There's no reason for me to plug in a security key on top of that. Um, what I haven't understood yet with those security keys, because I'm not using them, I'm using the biometric scanner at the moment, is with the biometric scanner, you have to actually approve your fingerprint. So it will verify that it is your fingerprint. But the YubiKey I have, you just have to touch it. Like literally someone needs to just touch it and say, okay, activate. So if you are at the laptop signing in, you don't need your fingerprint. You just touch it and then it signs in or authenticates for you. So I don't know the difference here. Well, I know the difference is on my laptop. I have my actual fingerprint to authenticate uh, that, you know, I authenticate that I am Tobias. But the YubiKey is more like the YubiKey knows that, well, the owner of this is Tobias. So, But what happens if this key gets into the hands of someone else or it's plugged into my laptop and I'm not there and someone just touches it uh, and tries to sign into one of the services? Will they then sign in? Yeah, they, they will. So I, I don't know how this is you know, better or different. So I'm, right now I have the biometric scanner, but... I'm not well-versed enough in the security keys to understand it.
0: I, I can't claim I'm, I'm an expert on this. But one use case that, I, that I've sort of realized with the physical Fido2 security keys is that these are super cheap. So one costs you about 10 euro, so about, what, $12? And in wholesale, if you buy 200, it's obviously cheaper. So the idea is that you can hand this out to your employees to your uh, vendors, your external consultants. And not all devices have a Windows Hello for Business capability. Often it requires a physical laptop with with certain configurations and whatnot. But this only requires a USB port, either on your phone or tablet or, or even a shared desktop or a kiosk. So it's optimal in the sense that you carry this with you, <clears throat> which makes this the second factor. And I, I assume here, and I, I perhaps read about this, but I've forgotten already. The idea is that since it has that part of your certificates in there, and when you unlock those, obviously you're in possession of the key. So if you lose the key, what you can do as a user, you can go to, my security portal and remove the key, essentially um, voiding its existence, and then you can provision a new one. But admins cannot provision keys for users. So I cannot call an IT admin in a large company and say, hey, I need a new key. Obviously, they can send you a new physical key, but it's empty. You have to provision it for yourself. So that sort of is the challenge here. It's a cheap device that you can hand out to non-technical users so that they don't need to have a mobile phone or network connectivity at all. But at the same time, they have to learn how to provision them and they have to understand when to plug it in and when to do this and that. So that's perhaps sort of the, the mismatch that I'm often seeing now with customers who are sort of thinking, should we go with MFA or passwordless with the Authenticator app or something else? And that, I feel, is one of the reasons that I'm not seeing too many users handing out Fido2 keys to normal employees. It's all often the IT or the security department that might have this. And even them might just use this for sec- um, special accounts, like the main admin account will have a security key, and that's physically in this office. And for that, I, I feel it's a great solution.
1: Yeah, Cool.
0: Okay, so, so let's, let's recap the options because there's a lot of moving parts here. So passwords, we all know those, the plain old approach, it still works. Azure AD with MFA, which means text, call, pin, authenticator app, and so on. That's fairly easy to configure nowadays. It's well understood, and users are used to using that. And then with passwordlets, we actually have four options. So Azure AD accounts, passwordlets with, with Windows Hello for Business. And that often requires that you need to configure Windows 10. And Windows 10 has to be of a certain version. It has to be at least 1709 or later. And then you often need to resort to having Intune or Endpoint Manager or some such configured as well. Then the second option, passwordless with the Authenticator app. The most obvious one, I would say. The most well understood as well. The third option is to, is with the security key, but then you need to somehow provision and manage the keys. And the last option is a one-time passcode. And there's two different ones here. There's a one-time passcode for Azure AD B2B. So external users, and we will send them a one-time passcode over email that they can access whatever resource, because we cannot perhaps ask them to configure Authenticator on their phones. Or there's um, there's the uh, temporary access pass that you can pre-generate and use that once for registering your authentication details later on. So four options for passwordless. And I would say Authenticator app and or Windows Hello for Business are probably the obvious ones. And the security key, slightly more complex to set up, slightly more complex to set up the processes source the keys, manage the keys, and and educate the users how to use the keys. And I I found a quick recommendation table from Microsoft on when to use what. So for non-Windows devices, obviously you cannot use Windows Hello for Business. So the option would be a mobile app or the Fido2 key. Any fresh Windows 10 builds, Windows Hello for Business or Fido2 keys, any shared devices like like a laptop in a conference room, the mobile app, or the temporary access password, and any kiosks or shared computers, perhaps in a factory floor that tens of different people keep on using, the Fido2 key or the mobile app.
1: Yeah, okay. That's good recommendations, and it makes it a, a bit more clear when to consider what, depending on what kind of users you have. Um, so that's good. Maybe we can put that in the show notes as well. This is a, you know, the recommendations are the TLDR. If, you, if you're if you trying to digest this show now and and this information, you want to go on this journey, at least hear the recommendations as a starting point and then read about them, uh, you know, following the links.
0: Definitely. Um, about a year ago, Well, actually, I'm not sure anymore. Perhaps it was two years ago. It was at the time when when Microsoft Surface Go, the first one, was released. I think I was in New York City for a holiday, and they announced that, and I knew it was available in in the local store. So I went and got it, and I had the Fido 2 key, and I wanted to configure everything in Microsoft 365 with the Surface Go and the Fido key. So I did do a blog post. This was perhaps in 2019, late 2019, that I did the whole end-to-end configuration. So I will put the link for that too. It's still the same today, the configuration, but there's a lot of moving parts if you want to get the whole thing working, but if you just need passwordless with the Authenticator app, it takes you two minutes to configure a pilot group to try it out. one last thing and i found this on microsoft docs uh this is currently in preview so if you have azure mfa enabled but people are not using the app they're using a text message or call and you'd prefer them to move to using the app there's a nudge users feature so when you configure this whenever users log in they get this gentle nudge an additional prompt to say, hey, perhaps you should install the app. Let, let us help you. So it's sort of pestering the user to finally this, get this on is the proper. Scandinavian
1: program. way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Would you please consider that maybe uh, using this option could be beneficial for, for the both of us, as opposed to let's enable conditional access and enforce this. If you don't use it, you will be locked out, period. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. So nudge your users or... Just configure it and, and, and send them an email on Monday. Okay, it's configured. Get on with the program.
1: Yeah.
0: All righty. So this was a lot of moving parts, but I think it was super interesting to sort of go end-to-end the whole passwordless thing now with Azure ready. Uh, one last thing, the unexpected question. And last time it was you, so it's my turn to ask you, Toby. So this is fairly relevant, especially for for these surrounding weeks. If you had three years, counting from tomorrow, three years to train in hopes of of achieving a gold medal in the 2024 Summer Olympics, which sports would you choose?
1: Good question. So number one, I learned today uh, from a colleague that the Olympics is currently ongoing. I didn't know that there was a Summer Olympics. I only knew that there was a Winter Olympics, which tells you a little bit bit about how much I know about sports, which is not a lot. I have practiced a lot of sports in my life, a lot of martial arts, stuff like this. Never followed sports. So I just learned today that the Olympics, Summer Olympics has been going on for a while. I also learned that there's something called Summer Olympics, which I had no idea about. So I don't know if this is part of, the summer or winter Olympics or just Olympics in general, if there's such a thing. I don't know if there's a just Olympics. I have no idea. But I, I do recall back in the day that they had judo. So I, I used to do judo for about 10 years, you know, growing up. So it would be a, a really cool thing to get back to. So if I had three years to, you know, really focus on, on doing something, I would probably do that. Because number one, I did it for a decade. Uh, growing up. So I know a lot about it. I know the rules. I know how it works. Uh, I have the techniques I'd like to think uh, still. And I, I think that is the thing that would quickest come to me. Then if, if you have Olympics in golf, obviously I, I've played a lot of golf. So that would be, you know, one genre, but I don't know if golf is an Olympic sport in the summer or winter, obviously not the winter one. I would say judo, uh, that that is my final answer i would do judo and there's a, a variety of reasons for that and uh, you know not just because i did it for 10 years but those 3 years warming up to the championships or the uh, the olympics would also give me great health benefits because judo is all about the agility of of and, and the mobility of your body using uh you know the counterweight of your opponent and it's not brute force. It's, you know, a very elegant type of martial arts where you don't punch, you don't kick. It's about, you know, a, a type of Japanese wrestling, if if you will. It's it can be pretty tough, but it's also very gentle at the same time. Yeah, I really like it. It's it's a great way for you to strengthen your health, strengthen your body, strengthen your mind, because it does require quite the mindset and discipline if you're gonna get and, you know, become good at that. And obviously aiming for the Olympics, if now that's what I'm going to do, then I would require both discipline from myself, discipline from my family to support me in that. Uh, but also, you know, obviously taking the time to uh, get my body back into the, into the shape of, uh, of, of judo. And as a side note, the last time I did judo, um, I, you know, when I, when I was in, competitive judo. I weighed about 65 kilos. That was my uh, fighting, uh, fighting weight. And then I went off to do studies for about a year. When I came back, I weighed 89. <laughs> so I, I, I went up 20, 25 kilos, give or take, in, in less than a year. And that was the end of my judo career. Because when I came back, I tried to go in a championship. But everyone in that size, like they were giants compared to me. You know, I, I didn't gain muscle. I gained pizzas and, and whatever as a student. So, uh, you know, that was the end of my judo days. But I would love to get back to that.
0: Judo sounds like a, like a really good sports and a selection here. Uh, when I went out to find myself a fitness instructor uh, a couple of years ago, somebody I know asked me, see, are you sure you're not searching for a fatness instructor <laughs> or just a <laughs> fitness one? But I, I, I did end up with the fitness one. Uh, three years judo. I think the weight class is now for judo in the Olympics is 80 kilo or more. So you at least have to weigh 80 kilo. If you're more that's fine. But if you're 120, I think it might be a challenge (laughs) in, in competing.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely passed the, the 80 bar. Uh, truth be told, I've not been on a scale, a weight scale for more than 10 years. I, we don't have one at home, so I don't actually know what my weight is, but I I think it's perhaps 86 give or take. I have no idea. I, 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 You know, now I'm intrigued to actually find out because (laughs) every so often I'm thinking, I wonder what I'm weighing right now, you know, for no good reason, because I'm super healthy. I feel healthy. uh, You know, I I have a great mind. I have a great, you know, I take care of my body. You know, I, I take care of what I eat. So I never really think about that. But now I'm curious, how do I compare to the to the championship weight that I had? Back in the day, versus when I got back from my studies at eighty nine, you know, did I go above and beyond ninety, or, or am I below eighty? I don't know. I've literally no idea.
0: Yeah, perhaps do that someday, and 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 don't give up on the dream of of pre- representing your country in the Olympics in three years or so.
1: <laughs> All right, I'll I'll try to gun for that.
0: Excellent. Thank you for this. Thank you for tuning in. This was episode 93 for getting your passwords with Passwordless. Thanks. And uh, until next week. See you then. Thank you for tuning in
1: to the Control-Alt-Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltasher.com. Stay tuned.